the ceiling and said, Maybe. It looks to me like somebody was watching to make sure they got the right party. You know, I found a lot of wire that might have set the bomb off with a battery and let the guy that did it stay a long way out of the blast. In that case, maybe he didn't really want to get you, or he would have. Maybe somebody wants to scare you. Why even scare me? Will asked, missing the point, and looking puzzled. I'm the only one that agreed to an eight-hour day and four-dollar shift. The union's got no beef against me. True. But how about your friends that own the other mines, especially Bradley's outfit? They're mad at you, and may be trying to get you to go along with them and cut wages. Bradley was the local manager of the other big mine, the Magnate, and spoke generally for the absentee owners of several smaller mines. I never thought of that. Best start. It would explain why the thing went off ahead of time, to scare you. Unless somebody hired the world's worst bomber, I'd expect a note of some kind, if I were you, suggesting that you play ball, probably signed by a well-meaning friend. Dolph Morgett got his first word of the bombing from the above newspaper clipping that his son Junior mailed to Alaska along with a letter. Junior wrote, We always seem to manage a little excitement for your visits home. See enclosed clipping. At least us ranchers are having a peaceful time of it since your last visit. That left a lot unsaid. He might have written, because of your last visit. Dolph had a record going back more than a dozen years of administering the kind of poison that the Pine Bluff area sometimes begged for to keep the human skunk population at a tolerable level. The job had been somewhat like the Hydra, as Dolph had found to his sorrow. Lop off one head, and two grew in its place. He'd even spent five years of a life term in prison where he'd been railroaded for a self-defense shooting. After his pardon, he'd exposed the plot that had sent him to jail, and had to kill its principal perpetrator. In the months and years following his last visit to Pine Bluff three years before, the remains of a number of prominent horse thieves and cattle rustlers had been found in remote spots. Those found early on were still recognizable, hanging by their necks on the means of their demise. The rest were bones, scattered on the ground beneath a noose dangling from a tree above them. Others that had been caught and incarcerated had been sent on free vacations behind bars. Suspicions were directed in the proper quarter regarding the mysterious hangings, but it wasn't considered healthy to mention them directly to Dolph. The first of several bodies was discovered before Dolph returned to Alaska, but only one person had had the guts, or lack of sense, to bring the matter up directly to him. She was Pine Bluff's leading busybody in conscience, Artemisia Allenby, who had confronted Dolph on the street and delivered her speech. I guess your gang had something to do with those disgraceful lynchings. He'd replied, I'm afraid you're blaming the wrong parties, Mrs. Allenby. She'd sniffed, I don't believe it. You've been in the middle of all the trouble in this community as long as I can remember. He had smiled calmly down at her. Yes, ma'am. Never started any of it. Only finished it. And what I just said was my gang didn't have a hand in those hangings. I did every one of them all by myself. Then he had tipped his hat and walked away, suppressing a grin with difficulty. Artemisia had looked after the tall, retreating figure, mouth agape, wondering how a lone man could hang somebody, to say nothing of hanging a dozen or more. Such a reputation was one of the reasons he'd moved to Alaska. Another was a profitable gold mine there. He lived there with his wife Margaret, daughter of the famous Chief Henry. 
The whole country knew who the chief was, after the braves under his leadership had whipped half the U.S. Army in a historic thousand-mile flight of his tribe more than a decade before. Dolph and Margaret led an idyllic existence, most of the time in Alaska, raising their son Henry, who was five, going on fifteen, a real handful of energy and curiosity. They also had adopted an Indian daughter, little Maggie, just past four. She was Henry's complete opposite. Dolph's grandmother, Mum, had followed them to the last frontier, as had Dolph's best friend, Doc Hennessy. Dolph and Margaret were almost packed to make a trip back to Pine Bluff for an impending double birth in the family. The wives of Dolph's son, Junior, and brother, Matt, who were expecting within a week of one another. They were in the final stages of preparation when the clipping regarding the bombing arrived in Junior's letter. Dolph read it to Margaret and Doc, who was having coffee with them, as he did almost every morning. When Dolph finished the article, he looked at them for a reaction. Sounds about normal for the old hometown, Doc said.